There's comfortable and there's uncomfortable thinking, right? There are thoughts that are very comfortable. We don't question those at all. Uh, I love this ice cream. I don't question that. That woman's beautiful. I don't question that. I had a great day at work. I don't question that. Uh, but there are the uncomfortable feelings, which is the one that we, we should question. We should at least investigate. Exactly what you said. Uh, it's actually about being okay with the presence of the uncomfortable thoughts, right? Because if, I, if I'm seeking what's next or resisting what's now, then I suck. That's Jason Goldberg, and this is episode 232 of In The Moment with me, Alex Manzi. I'm a coach, and this podcast is all about self-development and helping you to live a happier and more fulfilling life. And each week we hear from some of the most inspirational people in the world to help inspire you to make a positive change in your life. And on this week's episode, I am joined by Jason Goldberg, who is a coach, a TEDx speaker, and author of the best-selling book, Prison Break. Now, Jason has a really unique style with his coaching, which really comes across in this conversation. He's full of energy and he has an amazing sense of humor. And what I love about Jason is how he uses his own learnings and lessons in life to help others and those that he works with and consume his content and read his book and things like that. During this conversation, we spoke about the moment that he decided to make a dramatic change in his life, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, the illusion of life and much, much more. So the aim of this podcast is to inspire. So if you like what you hear in this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and spread the love today. But right now, let's jump straight in and hear from Jason. Jason, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm, I'm wonderful, man. I'm so excited to be with you that we're, you have your sign behind you. We are not just living in the moment, we are live in the moment, which is <laughs> yeah, like double yeah. uncomfortable with your sign. This is perfect. Yeah, man. It's there for a reason. It's not, it's, that's not a mistake. Well spotted. <laughs> yeah. I love um, that. And, and, and we are, and we are a live in the moment, which is nice too. It's nice to be alive with you in the yes. same virtual space. Exactly, man. Exactly. We're getting, getting more and more used to this, aren't we? So, um, right. yeah, man, I think first of all, like, I just want to, you know, thank you for being here. Cause it's like always really inspiring to, to speak to other coaches, um, particularly, you know, coaches who, I think like yourself, like I've, I've seen various bits of your content here and there and I've done like courses and you've been like part of those courses, which, you know, you might not have noticed or whatever, but, um, well, you wouldn't have cause they were online, but, um, it's really cool to like, just, you know, hang out with someone who's very much of a similar mindset and doing similar things in the world. So yeah, man, I really appreciate it. I'm excited, man. I'm excited to have the conversation. I love what you're up to in the world. Love your energy. I love the, the little conversation we had before you hit mm-hmm. record. And so I know this is going to be a really fun combo for everybody. Likewise, dude, man. And I think the best place to start really is like, I think the thing that really interests me about you is how your journey has has unfolded over time because your life hasn't always been like this. Like you've always, you, you've been coaching for a certain number of years, but before that you were almost an entirely different person. So um, maybe would you want to explain a bit about that story and how it began? Yeah, it's interesting, man. Cause like when you, when you ask that question, I immediately think of, you know, um, chronologically where I was at professionally and stuff before I became a coach. But then a- as you said, when I was thinking, and I never really put two and two together when somebody asked me this kind of question, but really coaching was a return to who I was as a kid. And, and so, so I, you know, as a young, as a young kid and really growing up and really into my late twenties, I had always had really bad, uh, weight problems, physical weight problems. And I was like always the chunky kid. And then I became, you know, morbidly obese. And I was, you know, 250 pounds when I was 15 and I was 332 pounds, which was like 150 something kilos when I was uh, 29. So like, I, I always had this weight thing and 
because of that, especially as a kid, I was picked on a lot. And, uh, and I was also hopeless romantic and just like, I, I really never did well with girls when I was, when I was in, in, you know, middle school, high school, whatever. And I realized at that point, because I didn't have this language back then and I have this language now, but I realized that like, I was looking for connection. I was looking for, um, uh, a feeling of enoughness. I was looking for, for just some kind of, uh, uh, self-esteem through other people, through, through friendships that I wasn't, I wasn't getting. And so I figured out very early on that if I would be able to make people laugh, if I was able to bring humor into the room, that that would get me some kind of positive attention. And I also realized that, especially with, with girls, if I would listen to them when they had problems or really just like be there with them when they were going through something and was empathetic and compassionate and, and, and curious and present, then I would, I would get connection from them. So it's funny that the humor and the empathy that I developed as kind of a, uh, a security blanket slash, you know, mechanism for connection when I was a kid is exactly what fuels the work I do now. But like mm. I said, that was, a, there was a return to that. So in the middle of that, I went in an entirely different direction and that was going into technology. So I got into technology very early on. Uh, my first official tech job was when I was 17, but I actually was doing tech related work when I was 13, uh, with my uncle through, through a company that he was working with. And, uh, and so I was in tech from the time I was 17 until, uh, until I left my last corporate job in 2011. Uh, and I was the director of engineering and operations for an IT consulting firm for about the last seven years of, of my career. And then I left and became an entrepreneur in 2011. And I had a couple of other startups, one that was in transportation, uh, and then one that was in partnership with NASA and the shuttle program with some commercial, uh, commercialization of technology from the shuttle program. And then went into coaching full-time in like 2014. Uh, but even the way I kind of got into that is, is its own little story, but that, that's kind of the backstory of what my path has looked like. Uh, and we can dive mm. into any place there you want. That would be helpful. <laughs> oh man, where, where to interject this? Like I, I have the, the time stone in my hand and I can choose what I want to do. <laughs> um, I think, I, I think for me then maybe the, the best place to start would be at what point on the journey did you, and you know, this is obviously something that we work with with people right is at what point on the journey did you realize that you wanted to make a change and you and it doesn't necessarily have to be career-wise but even health-wise like physically mentally like what point was it where you thought you know what i I no longer want to live in this way i want to create something different for myself yeah it's a great question and and where that happened for me was is an interesting moment uh, when I was in my, in that corporate job, it was, uh, 20, uh, 2009 and 2009. So it's a couple of years before I actually left that corporate job. And this is when I was at my, my highest weight, 332 pounds. And I was besides that my entire life. And probably as a result of, again, not feeling as much connection and getting picked on and, 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 and just the environment that I was raised in and things like that. I struggled with a lot of anxiety, a lot of sadness and depression, um, I had suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation into my mid twenties. Uh, and so I always was kind of dealing with stuff. I had a lot of anger issues. And so it was always, it was always something I was dealing with kind of internally. And so there was a, there was a moment in 20, 2009, I actually wrote about this in, in my book, prison break. It's the first chapter of the book. And, and the chapter is called the day the universe cut me off. And it's mm. the story of when I had this really, uh, incredible intervention from the universe that had me really slow down and take a look at the life that I was living and whether it was the life I wanted to be living. And in, in, in very, sh- in very short, uh, uh, succinct way, you can read the, you know, the chapter in the book if you want the kind of full story, but 
I, I went to go make a purchase on Amazon. It was maybe like a $60, $70 purchase, which I was making well over six figures in this, in this job. And, you know, ever since my mid twenties, I was making six figures plus. And, and so it wasn't like, there wasn't a money thing that, that was an issue at all, but somehow my card got declined when I tried to make this purchase. And so I get in my kind of traditional angry fashion, I got super angry and I call the bank and I'm yelling at them trying to figure out what's going on. And they tell me that the reason my card was declined was because there was some potentially fraudulent activity on the card. Mm-hmm. And when I demanded to know what the fraudulent activity was, they told me that there had been four fast food transactions in a single day in the city where I lived. And they assumed somebody had stolen my card and they were testing it out, making small purchases to see if it had been deactivated before going to make a bigger purchase that that flagged in their system. And so they, they cut the card off. And the, the massive wake-up call there was that it wasn't fraudulent. I had such uh, an attachment and an unhealthy relationship with food. When that food was something I used to soothe myself, food is something I used when I was bored, when I was happy, when I was sad. Everything was, was revolving around food. But I had eaten at four fast food restaurants in one day. And, and in that moment, that was the first moment. And I had known for years that I had like, you know, weight issues. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, naive to the fact that I was morbidly obese. But it was mm-hmm. the first time ever where I couldn't seem to find somebody else to blame for what, what I what was going on in my world. I couldn't blame my genetics. I couldn't blame, you know, the fact that I lived in a very dark climate. And so it was harder to go outside. I couldn't blame my mom that she cooked home cooked meals when I was younger, like all that stuff went away. And it was like, dude, this is you, like you're, you're doing this to yourself. And so that became the start of me asking myself, wait a second, there are people that I know personally, people that are very close to me who have had much worse traumas in their life than I have. And yet they don't seem to be as angry, sad, depressed, anxious, uh, or, or in, in much despair as I am. What is it that they know that I don't know? And that is when I started diving into personal growth. Mm. I'm really starting to learn uh, that there, there is a different way to live than the default way that I've been taught or the way that it had been modeled for me growing up. And so that became the start of my exploration to figure out what life could look like in a different way. Yeah, man, oh, powerful man. Like, it, there's so much to that story that 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 resonates with me. Like, in my own journey as well. Like, this, you know, apart from the weight, I suppose, like, pretty much entirely similar, and the, the fraudulent transaction thing. Yeah. But the way it came about is just like from something, you know, pretty, you know, minuscule for want of a better word. Just you would never in a million years have imagined that something so small would just wake you up from the way you've been living. And like for me, it was. Um, there's, there's actually two separate moments and the first one was um, again mid tw- like mid 20s um, I was with my girlfriend at the time and I've spoken about this a lot so I'll, I'll paraphrase it a little bit and we were having like a bit of an argument back and forth nothing major it wasn't like a serious argument you know as you do with a partner and um, she just turned around to me like why aren't you saying anything and I was just like I couldn't I couldn't understand what she meant she was like why aren't you saying anything and in that moment essentially what happened was I had that you know moment that you had where you like everything just became apparent to you and what I realized I was doing is I was sitting there having this argument with her but in my own head like she was saying her part but I was only responding in my mind I wasn't actually saying it out loud Mm. and then I realized in that moment how much I had been doing that throughout my whole life and how much I'd been living like a shell of myself and not really expressing myself for who I am and just trying to like please or whatever and it just and I just burst into tears and then obviously her energy switched to like well what's wrong (laughs) And I just, all I could say was like, I just don't feel like me. And it just set me off on this journey of like, okay, well, I'm, I'm tired of, of living my life in this way. What, 
what changes do I need to make? And then that's when like the self-help personal growth stuff came in. And the second moment is wildly different because I was at a pool party in Vegas. <laughs> this, this is already wildly different. I feel like this is going to end with a prescription for antibiotics, but please continue. Yeah. Well, it nearly did, but that's a different story, a different part of the story. Um, and, and I was, we, we'd been in Vegas for like, you know, we're from the UK. We don't get to Vegas a lot. So we were there for seven days yeah. and this was our sixth day, fifth day, sixth day, I can't remember. And we'd been partying every day and pretty much every night you know, as a group of lads would. And we were at this pool party and I was sat there hungover, miserable, not enjoying it. And I was just looking around like, I really despise all these people who are having a good time right now. And then something clicked and I was like, hold on a second. I'm choosing to sit here and not enjoy this moment. Like I'm sitting here and I'm actually choosing to not enjoy being in Vegas at a pool party with a poolside table with like some of my best mates in glorious weather, good music, like good vibes. And I just thought, what am I doing? And I got myself up. I literally put myself in the pool and I went over to the nearest group of strangers and just started speaking to them. And I literally spent, it, it literally would have looked like to an outsider that I popped some sort of drug or like took something because in an instant I was like, from lying down on the chair, like not moving, just like looking miserable, like in the pool, bouncing around from person to person, group to group, having conversations with people from like Michigan and like New York and like other places in Europe and like Australia and just like having the best time ever. It was like one of my favorite days of that trip. And it all started because I was like, I'm actually choosing right now to not enjoy this moment. Well, like why? Like I can choose to enjoy it. And it flipped. I was like, I can choose to enjoy any moment. I can choose to, like, I mean, I'm choosing my experience in, in some way. And it just really, the penny dropped. And I was like, wow. But what do you think the payoff was for you to not be enjoying that moment? Because I think it's important. And, and, and this is something mm. I try to do when I'm talking about this stuff too, is that it, it's great to have like the aha moments, but for, for a lot of us, it, it's hard to even get into that pause, right? Into that little crack in the, in the armor where we can see that we have the choice. So like for you, what, what was the payoff for you to be in that moment and not be enjoying Oh, so that's a really good question. I, don't, I can tell you're a coach. Like, I don't think I've ever thought about that before. <laughs> I think I think maybe it's just, it's like, it's what you're supposed to do. You're hungover. Like you're supposed to be miserable and not have energy and, you know, lack of sleep. And I guess it's just, there wasn't really any thought to it. It was just like, I, I feel tired and hungover. This is what you do when you're hungover. You, you lie on the sofa all day and do and not do much and be miserable. Whereas like, I was, I was like, no, like I don't have to, be miserable right now i can actually enjoy this glorious moment and i will enjoy this moment and I, and i did yeah you know it's like it, there wasn't much thought i don't know like i don't know have you, have you ever had an experience like that where you've worse you've had what, what was the factor for you what do you think's the the driving factor there so like for, for me with with all the the weight stuff is that the 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 payoffs for me of not uh recognizing and not taking personal responsibility is that I was able to uh, blame other people for what was going on, mm. and that kept my ego intact. That I mm. I can't be the one that's doing this, right? Because if I have to if I have to admit to myself that I'm the one creating this, you know, what a lot of people don't talk about, and maybe it's because not everybody has the same experience, but me realizing that I wasn't taking personal responsibility for my life was not a liberating moment. It was a shameful moment, right? It wasn't like, oh my god, I've been doing this to myself this whole time. This is amazing. Like it was like, I immediately went into beating myself up because that had always been my default was being really, really hard on myself. So if I could be really, really hard on myself and at the same time, 
not admit that I need to take personal responsibility, then I get to protect this identity. I get to protect this ego. I get to go back to my childhood where when I would sulk or when I would shut down or when I would brood or when I would, I would play the victim card, I would get loved. And I would get, mm. my mom would come and make sure I was okay. And, and she'd say, honey, can I, can I get you something? Like, what can I do for you? And so I took that forward into my adult life. And I, and I was living from this victim mentality because in some way, shape or form, I got the payback of feeling love, of getting attention, mm. of doing all these things. And so until I realized that uh, just because that has been my identity up to this point, doesn't mean it has to continue being my identity. Now I will continue to do everything in my power to protect that, that identity, to protect that ego. So I could see for you, for example, and I, I wasn't there, but like I've been in this experience too, if I'm like with friends and all of my friends are reacting to something a certain way, then I say, well, I don't want to look weird. So if all of my friends are like tired and hungover, I don't want to be like the weirdo that's excited. He has a bunch of energy and wants to go talk to people while they're all sitting here like half passed out. And so I'm like, all right, well, then I just won't be true to myself. I'll outsource my self-trust and I won't be who I really am just so I can fit in with the crowd. Mm. But instead you said, I don't really care what anybody thinks right now. I have an opportunity to enjoy this really unique experience and I'm going to go do that. So it feels like in both of those two situations, this was you kind of resourcing your self-trust and saying it's more important for me to be me than for me to be accepted by all the people mm. around me, which is beautiful. That takes a lot of courage. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think one thing that's worth noting as well is like in the Vegas story was actually probably two years after the, the first story. So I was already like two years into, you know, even unknowing what po personal growth was and going on that journey. So I was like aware, I had a, I had an awareness that I didn't have in, in the first instance, which was the story of the girlfriend. And I think looking back on that, the driver was, you know, feeling safe, feeling secure. Like I was doing the things that I thought I was supposed to do. I had the good job. I had the nice girlfriend. I had the, my own car. I was on my way to like, you know, having enough money to buy my own place, like all of this stuff, like the tick box exercises. And I felt like I was, I was safe because I was secure within myself and externally because I had these things. But then it was like, well, no, I'm, I'm miserable, like doing this, like why I don't want to, I'm tired of living my life. And, you know, similar to you, like you're saying, having suicidal thoughts and, you know, being like quite depressed, like I didn't want to live my life like that anymore. And it was like a, a moment to wake up and go, actually i'm what what i'm realizing here is that i'm i'm in some way choosing it right and and you know choice is a very wishy-washy words in some instances but it feels like i was that was the way i was I, I i wanted to see the reality and i got to a point where i don't want to see it like this anymore I, I, there's got to be more that i can create and experience yeah and that's huge like when, when you really have that moment where you're kind of fed up where you where it's like you're standing on a you know, a burning platform and the choice is either to be burned alive or to jump and you decide you're going to jump, then that's, that's great. Right. And so this is a good thing to look at too, with, with safety or the perception of safety, you know, we have in, in the U S I don't know what they call it in, in Europe, but we have the TSA in the, in the U S right. And I think there's TSA agents, obviously uh, everywhere, but, but the, uh, the TSA is, is there for security purposes, right? They're there to screen you and make sure you don't have bombs in your shoes. And of course, make mm. sure you don't take any, any cologne on the plane. That's more than three ounces. Cause God forbid <laughs> that can cause a major thing, but whatever, but, but it's, it's been said by many people, and this is not at all to down the administration, but it's been said by many people that the TSA is there for the illusion of security. Right. Mm. Like there are things that get through security all the time that they, they've done studies where they've literally you know tested it by seeing if they get small pocket knives or small guns or small whatever through and they get it through. So so it's the, it's the illusion of security. And so I noticed the same thing for myself. I always thought like, well, you know, when I have the house, when I have the car, when I have the wife and I have the six figure salary, 
then I'm finally going to feel safe after not having felt safe a lot of my life in, in those aspects. And then as soon as I got those things, all I worried about was those things being gone, being, being taken away, losing those things. So I transitioned from uh, 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 seeking to get something I didn't have to protecting something I finally had. And the suffering is the same. There, there's no, the suffering maybe is upgraded where you, you live in a slightly nicer place when you suffer. You drive a slightly nicer car while you suffer, but you still suffer. And so it's, it's really important for me to realize that the root of, of most of it, of the anxiety that I feel or have felt, comes from the belief that there is some reality where I will not be okay. Mm. If, 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 I didn't, if I truly knew that no matter what, I would be okay, that I wouldn't cling nearly as much to outside things or even inside things. I wouldn't cling to anything. And if I look back at history, the evidence shows me there's never been a time where I haven't been okay. Now, there have been times I've been extremely emotionally low, but I was still okay. And there's nothing that any of us have ever been through that we haven't gotten through because we're here having this conversation right now. Mm -hmm. So again, the evidence all points to that I'm resilient, that I'm creative, that I'm resourceful. And it's only when I believe that there's some reality where for some reason, all those uh, qualities of myself go away, the anxiety comes up. Mm, yeah and and would you say then that this this is down to the way that we interact with our thinking because you know a lot a lot of the stuff that I've come to understand is like okay there there's a fear about not being okay and you know as we're saying right but the more that I focus on this fear the more I want the opposite which is to just be okay and the more that I want the thing that I haven't feel like I've got right now the more conflict I have over where I'm at and it's like all of that is just thought created, right? So, what what sort of role does does our thinking play in all of this, and how does it kind of play out in these situations? Yeah, it's a great question. That's why I don't like um, positive versus negative thinking, uh, or good versus bad thinking. Mm. There's comfortable and there's uncomfortable thinking, right? There are thoughts that are very comfortable. We don't question those at all. Uh, I love this ice cream. I don't question that. That woman's beautiful. I don't question that. I had a great day at work. I don't question that. Uh, but there are the uncomfortable feelings, which is the ones that we, we should question. We should at least investigate. Exactly what you said. Uh, it's actually about being okay with the presence of the uncomfortable thoughts, right? Mm. Because if, I am, if I'm seeking what's next or resisting what's now, then I suffer. Right. So me being in a place where I say, well, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to feel unsafe. I don't, I don't want to risk this thing. I don't want to feel overwhelmed. That's the entire reason that it's sticking around is because we're just resisting the thing constantly. And so there, there are two ways to look at this based on kind of just the, the practices that I've, I've learned, the teachers that I've followed. And there's, you know, you can look at this from kind of the, uh, the Vedantic, uh, 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 modality or Vedantic practice or Vedantic perspective which is, is questioning and challenging uh, who you really are, right? Because we're not our thought, but a lot of times it feels like we're our thought, right? So that, that's the one side. But there's the other side, which is more the tantric side, which is the, the feeling, the sensation side. And for somebody like me and anybody who's listening to this who has historically lived from the neck up, who lives in their head, the tantric side feels very, uh, very foreign. Like we don't really feel stuff in our body as much, especially when mm. had such a body disconnect because of my body's shame with being so overweight that it was very hard for me to like feel sensations in my body, right? So that's been a big practice of getting back in my body. And the reason I talk about that is because now when, when fears start to come up and I notice there are sensations, 
where I would historically try to fight those things away. How do I get out of this? How do I reframe this? How do I do whatever so I don't have to experience this? I literally welcome it in. And I Mm. say, you know, fear of whatever, you literally now have access to every corner of my body. I want you to come in here and take up as much space as you want, down to my fingertips, down to my toes, the the expansiveness of my shoulders and my chest, all the way down my back. Take over whatever you want. You are welcome here for as long as you want to be here. And when I don't fight the thing, it gets really bored. Because if you ever try mm. to argue with somebody and they say, well, you shouldn't have said that. And you go, you're right, I shouldn't. Well, then, and they stop. There's, not, there's nothing else to say because you, just, you yeah. just agreed with them, right? So if the thing comes up and I say, hey, come on in. You're welcome to stay as long as you want. And the thing comes in and, it, and I literally feel the energy all through my body. And then like 10 seconds later, it's like, well, this is stupid. You're not resisting me anymore. I'm leaving. And it goes away. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I love, I love that. I love that, and it 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 reminds me a lot of um, a conversation I had with a friend when I was traveling, actually, and she was very caught up in her head, and I could recognize it because I I was there for a long time in my life, and it was always like thought this, think that, and you know, you could I could just see it, and I kept saying to her, like, I'd ask her questions on purpose, like, um, you know what have you what have you enjoyed about today and like simple questions nothing like i wasn't trying to test her just a simple question and she'd be like well you know i think this has been good and this and i've really enjoyed that and i said no no like don't think it feel it like tell me the feeling like don't i don't want to know what you think like tell me the feeling and she'd be like i don't get what you mean i'm just like take away the thought and tell me the feeling like what did you enjoy about today what was nice she was like Oh, I felt so much like peace when we did this and I was, you know, happy with this. And I felt like a bit scared when we were climbing up this f- rock face or whatever. Like, and I was like, ah, like now you're getting, and I was like, really like pulling it out of her. But like, it's something that I, and it just happened like as, as part of our conversation, but it's something that I brought into like my coaching practice was like saying to someone, like when they're trying to describe something, don't think it, like feel it and then tell me what you're feeling because then you're like you said you're letting the feeling into your body rather than thinking what you think you feel you're actually feeling it and then talking about it and it's the resistance level drops it's like the barriers drop the you know the you know there's no more uh battling going on or like internal conflict because it's like oh actually like this is a bit stupid why am i like trying to cause all this trouble when you're not interested like you were saying right yeah yeah absolutely and yeah and for people who can't for people who, for people who that doesn't feel uh, accessible to them, especially like feeling stuff in the body. One of the things that I've done myself, because again, like I said, this was a big thing for me, not being able to feel a lot below my neck. Um, is there's a thing you can Google it's uh, progressive muscle relaxation. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you Google that, there's a bunch of different videos and they, you know, typically they're five or six minutes. And what they do is they just guide you through a process of, uh, of, of bringing tension to and releasing tension from every part of your body from head to toe. And then also doing that with your entire body. And doing something like that or doing like 100 jumping jacks or 50 jumping jacks, 100 typically is the one that I really like because at the end of 100 jumping jacks, your whole body's just buzzing and you start feeling energy. And if you're somebody who hasn't historically been able to feel a lot in your body, that's a great way to start getting your body to remember what it feels like to feel again. And so that can be be really, really helpful at the level of the feeling. The really important thing to remember, though, if you are going to do what I said about inviting the feeling in, letting it do whatever it does, is that... You want to approach it in the same way that you would approach uh, if you're watching a video on YouTube, speaking of YouTube, if you're watching a video mm-hmm. on YouTube and you have one of those pre-roll ads that comes up, an advertising that comes up before it, and you can't skip it, you have to just let it play, whatever it is, 15 seconds, yeah. 30 seconds, whatever it is. 
you can't. You can't fast forward through it, but what you can do is you can mute the audio, right? So you can watch what's on the screen without having the thing also talking to you and implanting messages in your head. So, so when I'm having the feeling come up, I want to pretend that that feeling is like one of the pre-roll videos, and I don't want to listen to an audio that goes along with that, and I don't want to read subtitles on the video, right? So when the feeling comes in and then thoughts start coming along with the feeling, I want to remind myself, no, no. I'm not reading subtitles. I'm not listening to audio. I'm just watching the thing. I'm just allowing the thing to be here. So, because, and I wanted to say that it's important because if not, then it actually just reinforces how bad it feels. If you're reading the subtitles and feeling the thing, then your, your mind and your body are at odds with each other. We want to either just be in the mind or just be in the body. Mm, right, right. Exactly. It's like not, not blurring the lines either. It's like, no, and, and also being aware of it. I think the awareness is super important. And I always say that the awareness is the thing that opens the door up to everything else. It's like, it's not even that. It's like the key that goes in the door that unlocks the door to then open it up to everything else. Because without the awareness, you're not, well, you're not aware of it by definition, right? Right. And even that, and so, so that goes to the Vedantic practice. And, and that's where we start realizing that who we are is literally only awareness. Mm-hmm. Like that's all we are. So there's actually never a time where you're not aware. And it's very easy to, to remind yourself you're aware. All you do is ask yourself, am I aware? And by simply asking that question, you notice that you have to be because you're in a present moment where you're asking yourself a question. So awareness is who you are by default. So I want to look at that even as that who I am is like the ocean, right? Like my consciousness mm. is essentially the ocean. You can't see the edges of the ocean unless you're a flat earther and you think you see the edges of the ocean or whatever. <laughs> Uh, so you can't, you can't see the edges of the ocean. The ocean is just this vast thing. And that's who we are. That's our consciousness. Now, nobody would ever say, or I would guess most people would never say that the waves are the ocean, right? Waves mm. are a part of the ocean, right? And waves cannot be born unless an ocean exists. And the same thing happens with our thoughts. Our thoughts appear within our consciousness. They are birthed within our awareness, but without our awareness to be there, to allow them to be birthed, they don't exist. And so the reason this is important to look at is that in the same way uh, our, our own awareness and consciousness works, the same way the ocean works. The ocean is this vast thing that we can't see the edges. All of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, this massive wave can come up. It can be 10 feet, 12 feet, 20 feet high, and it's just it's violent, and it's gaining more steam, and it's just rolling closer and closer to shore. And at some point, that wave flashes back into the ocean from which it came. And in doing so, it does not damage the ocean at all. The ocean has never been damaged by wave because they're made of the same things. But the ocean also doesn't resist waves. The ocean says, waves are going to come, waves are going to go, but I know they can't damage me. So the more I can look at that and say, oh, there's one of those big wave thoughts again that's coming up saying I should be further along in my business. I should be married by now. I should have kids. My my parents should agree with what it is that I'm doing. Like all these big waves come up and they're going to crash back into the, the ocean from which they came and you're going to be fine. So the mm. more I can realize that, that I am not the waves, that I am the ocean that encompasses all possibilities of all waves, then I get a little bit of distance between who I actually am and the thoughts and the images and the, and the sensations and the, and the judgments that may show up in my awareness. Mm, I love that analogy so much. And it's, it, it, it's like, you know, even beyond that, I guess it's like you can see the waves on the surface. You can feel them if you're on the surface. But if you go deeper into the, into the ocean, into the consciousness, you don't feel them as much. We, maybe not at all. Yeah. And I think that's connecting yourself to that is really powerful and then i guess on the flip side 
when you're coming from that place, when you have that understanding of of the of being the awareness, of being the consciousness, it allows you to then take that that um position of like, okay, well, what do I want to create with this new understanding? Like, how do I want to the rest of my life to look, you know, similar to like what we were saying was we we made significant changes in our lives because we had that moment of like, well, I'm not the waves. I'm actually the ocean. So like, what do I, now I have this information. What do I want to do with it? So how, how do you go about, I guess, firstly, helping people identify what that is? Because something that I come up against a lot is like people don't know what they want to create in their life. They don't know necessarily what they want. And it's not, there's no judgment on that. Like I've, we've both been there, right? Yes. Um. So how do you help them recognize it and then go beyond that and help someone kind of, I guess, create it? For me, it, it always goes back to, to one thing, or it's, it's two things, but it's kind of two things in one. So I hope you're enjoying this conversation today. And if you are, and you know someone who you think would benefit from hearing this episode, then be sure to send it to them. Send them a link or a screenshot, because it's really important that we continue to spread the positive vibes and messages of episodes like this. I started this podcast to inspire a positive change, and you can also be a part of that by sharing this episode with someone you know today. But right now, let's get straight back into it. One of the things I want to look at were people who who say they don't know what they want, uh, which, number one, most people, I think it's out, was it Alan Watts? Alan Watts said that uh, one of the reasons, most people don't know what they want is because, number one, they've never asked themselves, right? That's mm. number one. Or number two, it's because they already have it, right? So so that those are the two reasons he says people say they don't know what they want. So if we're looking at the first one and say people have never asked themselves, People will say, myself included, oh, no, I've asked myself and nothing comes up. But that's because going back to what we talked about a little while ago, we've been outsourcing our self-trust for so long that we don't think it's okay for us to admit what it is that we want. Because when we ask ourselves, what do I want? I, I hear the question as, what do I want that my parents would be proud of? What do I want that would be profitable? What do mm. I want that I, I would feel, I would feel, uh, ex- um, uh, I would feel proud that somebody knows that I did this thing. Like it's, it's not, what do I want? It's what do I want with these conditions? Right? So the question has to become that we're asking ourselves, what do I want without the conditions on top of it, that it needs to fulfill something that somebody else wants or whatever else. That's the first thing is really asking the question from the place of what do I want without a connection to anything else? The second part of this though, when people are really open to exploring this is I want to go back to when I was a kid. I want to go back to when I was younger and I want to ask myself two questions. Number one, what did I get praised for, or love, or approval, or whatever? And what did I get in trouble for? Right? Like, what did I get in trouble for? When I ask myself those two questions, what did I get praised for? What did I get in trouble for? That points me to something really special. It points me to to my innate gifts. It points me to my value system. It points me to the kind of uh, the kind of impact I want to have on the people around me. So that's where I want to start with everybody who says they don't know what they want. I want to find out what did you get love for and approval for? Mm-hmm. What did you get in trouble for? And then go from there. And I look at myself and I got in trouble all the time for being a class clown. I got in trouble for being the center of attention and making jokes. Uh, and then I got love and approval for making people laugh. I got love and approval for making people feel seen and heard and understood. And those things pointed me to exactly what I'm doing now and to the new iterations of things that I'm creating next. So that's a big place to start for me. Mm, yeah that's it, it reminds me of um uh sweet sharing by ankush jane and it's uh it, it's about that literally his the whole purpose of the book is going back to like how you were as a kid like what's the the basis of you know your 
core existence like what what were you like what did you do because there's a certain i guess pureness when you're a child that you don't have the 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 labels and the concepts that we we go on to to create in our lives and our stories and we're, we're sort of we haven't got to that point yet so we're kind of pure and i think yeah looking back and going okay what did i get in trouble for what did and it's funny even hearing yours like they were they were pretty much the same thing it was it was literally the same thing like on one hand he was getting in trouble for being funny but on the other hand like getting love for making people laugh so it's like it's it's the same thing and it just shows you like who as a person at your core like what you're like and i think that's actually a really can be a really powerful exercise for people and i'm definitely gonna recommend that to people as well because i feel like when i do have those conversations and people are like i don't i don't know what i want to create it's like well let's talk about that then because yeah. it's like I had a conversation about my coach with this earlier, literally just before this, we recorded this and he we was pretty much on the similar lines. And he was like saying he would, he has conversations with his friends where he says, what do you want to create? And they're like, would you like, what are you talking about, man? Like, I don't, I don't want like, I don't, what do you mean? What do I want to create? Like, no one's ever asked me that. I don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, okay, well trying to think, okay, what's another way that this question can be asked to get to the point. And it's like, that's all that is, right. It's just pointing back to the direction of like, okay, well, who were you as a kid? What did what did you like? What didn't you like? What did you get in trouble for? What didn't you get in trouble? Like, yeah, it's, it's powerful stuff. Yeah, and, and yeah, it's great. And, and the other thing there too is that sometimes answering that question, especially again, if you if you've kind of not really been trusting yourself, it can feel um, narcissistic or egotistical or selfish to say, "What do I want to create?" Because then it's about me. So sometimes I want to turn that around and ask questions like, you know, what problem do you want to solve? Uh, mm. But even more powerful for me is I want to look at it through the lens of the impact that leaves other people. So I have a, a one-line life slash business plan that I, I put out everywhere. And and to me, this is something that anybody listening to this can, can completely steal and fill in the blank, steal like an artist, and else, as, as Austin Cleon would say, and fill in the blank for yourself. But my one-line life slash business plan is to leave everybody I meet with at least 5% more joy than when I found. And the flip side of that is to leave everybody I meet with at least 5% less suffering than when I found, right? So those two things to me go hand in hand. And it's because I know how good it feels for me to see people lit up and to be in a place of joy. And I also know how it feels for me to be in a place of suffering and how I don't want people to be in that. So if I uh, approach the, what do I want to create question instead through, what is it that I want to have people experience more of through being in interaction with me? And what do I want them to experience less of from being in an interaction with me? That can also be a really great place to start to figure out what that would look like in the world of form. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I want to really let that one sink in. I think that's, yeah, so true. Um, and do, do you know what? It's, it's, it's even coming to me now how like, uh, there's there's always like a seeking, right? And I feel like sometimes you don't need to seek like what what is the thing like sometimes it just it appears to you like it will speak to you like there's a you know intuition is, is something that i know that you've spoken about and you've written about before that kind of comes to you when you allow it to right and, and the reason i say that is because there's a there's a chapter in your book which i think's I don't, I don't want to disrespect the rest of the book, but arguably the best chapter. And, and it's quite, it's really funny as well. I mean, the whole book is, but it's funny because it's, it's called your intuition is drunk. So it's like, do, do you want to, I guess, explain the, the idea behind that chapter and, and why that, why that's so powerful and why that can really serve you? Yeah, it's funny. It's, uh, it's actually my favorite chapter in the book. And funny enough, I just pointed a client to read it uh, this morning. Mm. 
and trying to be a good coach. I said, you know what? It's been a while since I read the champ. I'm going to reread it myself. So I actually just reread it this morning. So ah, there you go. Perfect timing. Uh, I always remember what it is, but even reading it again, I was it's really, it's, it's so important to remember this. So uh, the thing with intuition is that intuition is meant to be this all-knowing, infallible uh, thing, voice, gift, source, guided, whatever inside of you that when you ask it for what it is that you want or need, it's supposed to give you this divine guidance, this divine wisdom, which I think is amazing, uh, except for the times when people are uh, asking their intuition for stuff and they end up being terrified as a result uh, or being even more fearful or more in despair or more stressed. And so the, the, the premise of the chapter is, or you know, the idea is that if you had somebody in your life, a, a, a coach, a mentor, a, a boss, a friend, or an uncle, if you have a family member, whatever it is, who always gave you the best advice. Like anytime you needed something, you could go to them. They would drop everything for you. They would be there for you. They always had your best interests at heart. They only wanted the best for you ever. And one day you're struggling with some kind of a problem. You're struggling with some kind of a challenge. You don't know what to do. So you go to their house so you can get their advice because they've always just been so great to you. You walk in their house and they are drunk on the floor, completely obliterated, like slurring their words and drooling. They may even peed themselves a little bit. They're just <laughs> laying there on the floor and you look at them. Would you ask them for advice in that state? The answer is probably no, right? You probably wouldn't ask your drunk uncle, your drunk friend, your drunk <laughs> whatever, who's laying on the floor drooling and peeing on themselves for some kind of advice around your biggest life challenge. That's the same thing that happens when we try to ask our inner wisdom for advice when we're in a low state of mind, right? When we're just caught up in our thinking, everything's sped up, we're taking our thoughts very seriously, and we're trying to get this inner wisdom. And, and what the inner wisdom says is, you suck, you're not enough, you should quit. And we're like, well, I mean, my intuition's telling me that I'm not cut out for this thing. It's like, well, wait a second. Your intuition may be drunk. So in real life, if you had this mentor, this friend, this whoever who is drunk, who normally you would go to for advice, in that moment, you would probably shift gears and say, you know what? This person has always been here for me. No matter what, they would always give me great advice. Right now, I think they need a little bit of my time and attention. I need to show mm. them a little bit of love, show them a little bit, a bit of compassion. I'm going to sit with them until they sober up. I can't force them to sober up, just like you can never force anybody to sober up when they're drunk. But I can sit here with you and make sure you have a glass of water and make sure that you have a comfortable place to sit until you sober up. And then once you're sober, then maybe I'll ask you the question of what I needed help with to begin with. Same thing happens with our mind and our intuition. When we just let our, our drunk intuition sober up, we allow ourselves to just settle. We don't try to force ourselves. We don't try to reframe things. We just let the natural system do its thing and our consciousness returns to a higher level. Then we can ask the question of what it is that we think we want or need, and we're going to get much better guidance than we would when we're in a low state of consciousness. Mm, yeah, I love that. And it's it's that idea of letting it settle. I think there's a quote, which I think is is often attributed to Buddha, but there's there's arguments whether it was actually his phrase or what, but it's, it's um, if you let cloudy water settle, it will become clear. If you let your busy mind settle, your course will also become clear. And that's that's exactly it. And it it sounds so counterintuitive like or counterproductive, rather, because you know, we're talking about intuition. I don't want to use that word again. It's counterproductive because you're like, well, I can't just sit around and wait, but yeah like sometimes you have to sometimes like we were saying earlier you have to be with the feelings you have to uh, let it in so that it can soak in and then and then pass so that you can begin to see clearly again and then it's like that's when like you said you're in a wisdom or your clarity or you know whatever anyone wants to call it comes through 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and it's I love that quote by whoever the hell it is, Buddha or, or <laughs> Oprah or you know. Let, I, we'll take it. We'll take it. Well, it's yeah, Jason it's, and Alex's it's an Alex quote. It's an original Alex quote. I, I've, I've loved it for years. Thank you so much for your work. Uh, but but I, I did a, I did a video on my Instagram a long time ago. It was actually an interview from another another podcast uh, a while back, and it's a very similar analogy as the analogy of snow globe, right? Like a shaking mm. up snow globe. And and if you think about life when we are sped up and we're caught up in our thinking. It's like you're standing in the center of a snow globe that's been shaken up and you can't even see your hand in front of your face because there's just snow flying everywhere. Now, we as humans, well-meaning but misguided humans, think that it's our job to grab every piece of snow that's flying around and put it down on the floor. And once we do that, once we take responsibility for every single thought, every single piece of snow and get it on the ground, then we'll be happy. Then we'll be peaceful. But what inevitably happens is as we're grabbing every piece of snow and putting it on the ground and running around, we're kicking up more snow into the air. And so we never actually get to a place where all the snow is on the ground. And so the answer here in in the real world, if you shake up a snow globe and it's completely white on the inside, the only thing you have to do to get it to settle is just put the damn thing down. Mm. The snow will do its thing naturally. And this is actually a meditation that I'll do sometimes if I don't have time to sit for a full like 20 or 30 minute meditation is I'll take literally. For like 30 seconds to a minute, I will. Inv- I actually have actual snow globes in my house, so I can do it as an actual visual. But even if you don't have it, get a YouTube video of a, of a snow globe or just visualize a snow globe in your head and shake it up in your head. And you see all the snow flying around and just pick one flake of snow and just watch it do its thing. It'll, it'll, it'll go around. It'll kind of go in a circle. It'll maybe like catch a little bit of water and like go up a little bit and then come back down. And if I just watch this little piece of snow on its own natural track, and I let it do its thing, and it eventually hits the ground. And then I go pick another piece of snow, and I just watch that one. It's doing its same thing. It's swirling around, maybe a little fast movement, and then it goes a little bit slower, and then it hits the ground as well. And if I do that for 30 seconds or a minute, my entire system just calms down. So, so that whole, like, you know, the muddy water thing, it's so true. Like, it will get clear on its own if you don't force it to get clear. Mm, I'm sensing a whole merchandise line of Jason Goldberg <laughs> snow globes now. <laughs> with Alex's quote printed on it. Yeah, yeah, my famous quote. <laughs> um, but look, man, I've got I've got some uh, questions that have come in from through Instagram actually, and through some of the yeah. listeners that I'd love to to ask get your opinion on some of them. Um, is it just my mom? Is it just my mom who submitted questions? You can tell me. It's mine fine. and yours. It's, just... it's mine and yours. Okay, I'm perfect. a nan. Sure. <laughs> um, so the first one's from Kay, and she's asked. This is actually a really interesting point. How can you see slash feel your improvements in personal development? Yeah, that's a great question. Because here, here's the thing. Great question, Kay. When you first start off, it's all freaking fireworks. You're like, mm. holy crap, this is possible, and that's possible, and I never realized that before, and holy crap, I'm not my thoughts, and I can create whatever I want to create, and it's like, boom, and you're like, oh my God, my life has changed. And then over time, those fireworks don't happen nearly as much, right? You kind of settle into a new thing. And so for me, the way I measure my growth and transformation is very, very simple. It is, what, what is the window of time between the time I am triggered or I am caught up in my snow globe, or whatever it is that's happening, mm. and the time I get back to peace and equanimity, right? If it used to take me a week to get over something, and now it takes me four days, I've grown. That's an improvement. If it used to take me five hours, and now it takes me five minutes, massive growth and improvement. So it may not always be these massive fireworks to measure your progress, but look at the window of time it takes you to get back to your, your, your peaceful state. 
from when the time is riled up and that's your growth. Yeah, that's, that's, oh, I love that, man. And, and it's like, I, I had a situation where, you know, like you said, it's all fireworks and you start and everything's amazing. It's like constant upward, like, um, trend. And I remember I had this, this, this moment that happened to me in 2019. And this is like, you know, five, six years into my journey, like I'm well down the line. And I got to this point where, um, I, something happened and usually I would have reacted and it would have taken me months, sometimes even like in past cases, years to deal with it. Right. And I remember talking to my friend about it and I was in a really low place, really bad place, but it was, you know, to do with a girl, like normal kind of guy stuff. Right. And I was talking to my mate about it and we, you know, it was really like, he could see I was really distressed about it, blah, blah, blah. And then a few weeks later we spoke again about it and I was like a lot more upbeat and I felt like I'd got past it and like had a bit more clarity around the situation and he he turned to me actually and it was his moment of like showing me what had happened and said this just goes to show that all of this stuff that you do with the podcast with yourself all of the work you put in works because look how quickly like you've got beyond this thing which would have taken you so much longer previously and I was like I've never thought about it like that. And it's, it's, that's why what you're saying is so true. You start to recognize and, you know, over time it might not be so obvious. It might not week to week be so obvious, but over time and, and, you know, this stuff that we do is, is for a lifetime. It's not something that you you read one book and then you're like, everything's great and lovely. It's like, there's, there's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be things to overcome, but yeah, that, that time in between the, the, the way that you respond and react to that, shortens and that's how you know yeah this stuff is this stuff is good this stuff is working i'm on the right track i'm i'm going about things the right way 100 100 awesome so uh, the next question this will this will be the last one actually because i'm just aware of the time and it's from ryan and he said why do people talk so much and act so little this is a great question um why do people talk so much and act so little I wonder what you could have gotten done in the time you submitted that question. Uh, so, so uh, no, I, I love the question. I, I don't, um, I don't know that it matters uh, because you know. So one of my one of my number one uh, my, one of my top three teachers in the world is Byron Katie. I'm sure you're very familiar with her work as well, mm-hmm. and, and it's just such a, a gift to be able to work with her. And, and she's just she's amazing, and she's been a major. Uh, alongside Steve Chandler and and a couple of other teachers, she's been one of the, the best ones for me. And she has this thing she talks about, which actually I did a little uh, Instagram video about this as well at some point, that there are three types of businesses in the world, right? There's my business, there's your business, and there's God's business. Mm-hmm. And anytime I'm in your business or in God's business, I suffer. Anytime I'm stressed out or suffering, it's because I'm probably in your business or in God's business. So maybe for Ryan, there's, there's a specific relevance to why this question was important, but I would, I would invite Ryan to consider uh, whether or not that is his business, somebody else's business, or God's business. And if mm-hmm. it's not his business uh, to, to worry about that, take that energy that you're concerned about other people talking and not doing as much action and just take action yourself, right? Because one of the things I noticed when I got into personal growth and did the thing that I think a lot of people do where they go, uh, I'm transformed. Now I'm going to force everybody else to be transformed because I know what's <laughs> better for their life than they do. And, uh, and that was uh, not met with nearly as much acceptance and excitement as I thought it would be by the people that I knew and people in my family. And so what I stopped trying to do was I stopped trying to get people to see the light. And instead, I just decided that I was going to be the light. 
Mm-hmm. I was going to set the example. And if people decide to take on whatever I'm doing for themselves and take more action, fantastic. If not, who am I to think that they should be talking less and taking more action? I'm not here mm-hmm. to rush anybody's evolution. And I definitely don't know what's better for anybody else than me to. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, you know, I, I see that happening a lot in, and you know, not just coaching work, but also like just general conversations with people. It's like, the more I try, because at first I was the same. It's like, yeah, man, I've been doing this thing. Like, you totally need to try it. Like, meditation has changed my life. Like, all this sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And like, read this book. It's amazing. But like, now I'm like, I'm more willing to talk about why it was amazing for me and what changed and why it worked and share my experience and share my journey. And that inspires someone more because A, they might become curious for themselves. They might become more curious about me, but it it, it just lays my cards on the table. So if someone wants to see my cards and check them out and go, oh, maybe, you know, that sounds like it could be something that could work for me or relate for me. It's like, it creates a a bond, right? And that's when you're, you're, like you said, you're staying in your business. I'm sharing my experience. I'm sharing what's worked for me. And if that's something you want to take on board for yourself or you want to be creative with it, like you said, like be an artist with it and, and create your own thing with it, by all means. But like, this is, this is how it's been for me. And it's like, people really, there's a big shift in in, in the approach. And it's like the, the response from the other person shifts as well, which is which is cool to see. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and this is also where judgment disappears because I, another thing that Byron Katie said that I really loved is she always says, there's nothing somebody can say about me that I can't find truth in, right? There's nothing you can call me, nothing you can say about me where I can't find where I have definitely been that in some way, shape or form. Uh, you know, uh, so, so in this respect for me, when I, when I have that question and, and, and I was, playing around with Ryan a little bit, but I definitely had this feeling before too, if I'm coaching somebody, I'm like, why don't they just take the action? They say they want to mm. do this. Like they say it's important. And why are they doing it? And I have to look at myself and say, where have I been not? Where have I said I wanted to do something and I didn't do it? And to have empathy for what that feels like. Cause there is nobody in the world who wants something and is not taking action towards that thing. And they feel happy about it. none of them. They feel terrible about that. And I know what it feels like to feel terrible about that. So I want to be in a place of love, empathy, and compassion for people who are talking and not taking action because I know what it feels like to be that way myself. Mm, yeah, and, I, and it's like there's, there's for me, there's two great teachers in in understanding this, and they're, they're polar opposite as people. But like one's Gary V, and one is Steve Chandler. Like yeah. you, like Gary is very much like, well, if you want to do it, just just do it. Like don't put any expectation on it he's very like in your face about it, aggressive about him you know people have their opinions on him and whatever but like if you listen to the advice that he gives and the stuff that he shares about himself like if you just do the action and don't worry about it you're going to get it done and steve on the other hand is more like the same message but in a very delivered in a softer way shall we say and <laughs> and it's it's true like if you if you take the judgment out if you take the expectation out of it like it you you'll just do it because you don't care about the judgment you don't care about the expectation you just whatever that step is whatever that action is just put it in place and i think you know going back to ryan's question maybe the reason some people don't arrive at that point is because they haven't seen that for themselves they're so caught up in their world and their judgment and their work and their expectation that they create a fear or you know whatever it may be around whatever it is that they have to get done and then they hold themselves back from doing it rather than just doing it whereas you know, when you're on the front for it and you, you're the one who's in, in creation mode and you're the creator of your life, you just, yeah, let's just do it. I'll, I'll do this thing. If it doesn't work out, cool. If it does, wicked. Like this, neither way is, there's no judgment on it, you know? It's it's such an important thing you said. And I, I love Gary and Steve and I love that they have different methods to get to the same, the same realization. 
But it's something I'll just close with this because I think it's really important. And I was just talking to a client about this yesterday is that when it comes to not taking action on things that we say we want to take action on, so much of the reason that we don't do it is, you know, some kind of fear or whatever that we say it is. But imagine if every morning you woke up and somebody prepared breakfast for you and they put a spoon down next to the bowl and every day you didn't know, but it might be poisonous and kill you or it might be nutritious and it nourishes your body. But every day you wake up and before you put that spoon in the bowl, you realize this is a life or death decision right now, whether or not to eat this breakfast. It's either going to nourish me or it's going to kill me. If we put all of our happiness and our happiness is at stake based on the success of the thing that we say we want to do, then of course it's going to be just like the bowl of, of, of breakfast in the morning. I'm probably just not going to eat the damn thing. I don't want to take a 50-50 yeah. chance that it's going to kill me. I'll just, I'll fast. I'll do intermittent fasting and I'll be in Southern California and I'll drink oat milk and it'll be perfect. So, so the thing here is to recognize is my happiness at stake? Is my success, my, my feeling of being successful at stake? Is my fulfillment at stake? Is my enoughness at stake based on making this decision? And as long as I think it is, I probably won't make the decision. When I realize that nothing is truly at stake, it's much easier for me to make the decision. Mm, yeah, love that. I think that's a, that's a, a wonderful um, note to end on. Um, so Jason, I want to, I want to thank you for, for the time. Um, I want to, you know, big you up for, for dropping so many gems, sharing so much wisdom. Um, do you want to let people know where they can hear about how you broke out of prison, um, and how you're ruining the podcasting world and anywhere, anything else you want to shout about? Yeah, I'm still on the run from the police. My picture is up in all the post (laughs) office and everything. Uh, yeah, the best place to find me is on Instagram. You can find me there. I'm at the Jason Goldberg, T H E the Jason Goldberg and uh, DM me and let me know that you heard me on the Alex podcast and I'll, I'll send you a copy of my book. I'll send you a copy of prison break. Uh, you can also check out my podcast. It's called the Jason Goldberg is ruining podcasting podcast. Uh, really fun stuff there as well. And, uh, yeah, man, that's kind of the best places to find me. Awesome, man. And was the book named after the show or was it just, it was a name you arrived at? Coincidence. It was actually in a conversation Uh, with Steve, with Chandler. We were talking uh, about different names for my books and I had a bunch of different things. And and I think he was actually the one who suggested Prison Break to begin with. Uh, And uh, and then, of course, the book actually came out right when the show decided to come back. The show had been off the air for Mm. years. And they're like, we're rebooting the show. And I'm like, wow, it's terrible timing. Now everybody Googling Prison Break is definitely not going to buy my book. But it actually ended up being great. So I loved it. Yeah. Awesome, man. Um, cool man well, uh, thank you so much man and appreciate the time thanks brother great to be here I appreciate your work thank you so there we have it I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Jason and I would really love to hear what you got from this episode so to do so hit me up on Instagram at I am Alex Manzi drop me a DM and let me know what you learned from this conversation I want to thank Ryan Nile from Pure Creation Media for producing and editing this episode. And I also want to thank Hobgoblin for providing the sick music. Thank you for listening. Peace and love. And I will see you for the next episode. <laughs>